Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, but there is still conflict in the world. Even the celebration of his birthday provokes conflicts. When there are conflicts with the culture, should Christians sacrifice the truth or stand firm? And former Defense Secretary William Cohen will discuss international conflicts and his new novel, Dragonfire. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. I heard the first distant guns of every year's battle over Christmas and the holidays today. You know there's going to be some dispute over whether to use the word Christmas when you're referring to trees or when you're referring to a celebration or when you're referring to a a break in the school year, whatever it is, or to call it simply a holiday. And I want to talk about that in just a second. I do want to remind you that uh, this is a special evening for Jerry Johnson Live, for the Criswell College, and uh, for the kingdom, we hope. We uh, want to be able to talk about some issues related to truth and defending the truth no matter what. In fact, There is a battle for the truth uh, town hall meeting that's going to be held over uh, on the border right between Arlington and Grand Prairie on 360 at Crossroads Church. Robert Jeffress will be there. Jack Graham will be there. Barry Cameron will be there. You have a great opportunity to interact with some real leaders in thought and also just Christian leaders uh, who will defend the truth, but who also want to do it in a way that allows us to represent that truth fairly and effectively uh, to the culture and meaningfully to the culture. So I encourage you to participate in that if you're able to. You've still got plenty of time to get over there. It starts uh, at uh, 7 o'clock. I believe you can uh, start going in, taking seats and stuff at 6.30. So I encourage you to go over there. Dr. Johnson is over there, and he'll be hosting that town hall tonight. And so I think you'll have a great time at that if you get to go. I do want to mention to you the, the reason I brought up Christmas and hearing <laughs> those shots being fired in the battle about it uh, is because uh, Lowe's, the hardware store uh, where I shop often, uh, put out a holiday catalog just recently. And uh, <laughs> it I have a couple of pages from that catalog in front of me right here. And, uh, you know, they call it a holiday catalog. That that doesn't bother me. They're selling things for uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, whatever. And that's fine. They call it a holiday catalog. I mean, let's not get all up in arms about nothing. But uh, (laughs) when they got to uh, the Christmas trees, uh, they didn't call it Christmas trees. They called it... Now, I I just want you to pause here for a second, not draw any conclusions until we're finished, because Lowe's took some great steps to correct this. I just want to point out what was up first, and then we'll get to that. So uh, when they got to the Christmas tree page, uh, some intelligent person on their staff decided that in the catalog they would call them family trees. And so we need to start a holiday tradition, it says, with a beautiful uh, gift from Lowe's and so on, all of these family trees with hundreds of lights and blah, blah, blah. 
The title on the top of the catalog is, I mean, on the top of this page of the catalog is Family Trees. Uh, being all decked out is about decking out your family trees. Uh, and they have some creative trees. They have some good-looking trees, fine with me. But, uh, of course, uh, our assumption is, when we look at things like that, uh, that someone working for Lowe's is trying to be politically correct about things. And, of course, we're not the only ones to have noticed something like that. And so they took a little beating uh, from the AFA, uh, and I appreciate what the AFA does. Uh, they, they took a little beating from the AFA because uh, they just had avoided using the word Christmas too strenuously. Because uh, on the first side, and we're going to have to approach this from two sides before we can draw any conclusions about it, uh, but from the first side, uh, we are ridiculously uh, committed to using political correctness all of the time, to avoiding anything that might offend anyone under any circumstances whatsoever. And it's uh, that kind of thinking just leads to an insanity. I remember, remember the new holiday on Seinfeld? I mean, for those who are offended by the notion that Jesus would show up at his own uh, birthday celebration, for those who are offended by the fact that in a religiously and morally pluralistic society, there would be Christians who want to celebrate their Christianity in the public square, for those who are offended by things like that, a new, and this is the idea of this Seinfeld uh, episode, a new politically correct holiday needed to force its way into the light. A new holiday was born. A festivus for the rest of us. I'm sure some of you have heard that line before, and you remember what all of that was about. But do you realize how vacuous our lives will have to be if our entire purpose is to avoid any kind of political offense, any kind of offense in the public square, that we're going to say anything that would be a distraction to someone. So uh, if, if we were to do that, we'd have to take out everything in our life. I, I remember saying to someone one time, look, if there's something I'm doing that's offending you, because I was sharing the gospel with him, if there, and, he, and he was sort of attacking the things that I had been saying about uh, the things in life that could be better than they are. And uh, I said, look, if there's something I'm doing that's offending you, I'm willing to stop. And he said, oh, what if I'm offended by your eating M&Ms? Now, you know, my first reaction was to say, well, then I'll quit eating M&Ms. But the reality is that the problem with eating M&Ms wouldn't be that it's an offense to him because of what I'm doing. It would be because of something in him. There is a point at which we have to stop looking at ourselves because of what other people are too sensitive about. And uh, that's a part of what's going on with this. And part of that's illustrated uh, in this statement about celebrating Festivus. And at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. And is there a tree? No, instead there's a pole. Requires no decoration. I find tinsel distracting. This new holiday of yours is scratching me right where I itch. I mean, tinsel is going to be distracting. You know, it's going to be a problem. So we'll get rid of that, too. We'll just get down to a bare pole, and we'll have a, a time when we sit around and just tell each other what's wrong with each other. I think that's a great way to avoid any political offenses there. Uh, my reason for bringing all of that up is just to be silly about it, but it, it's also to point out that our absurd obsession with political correctness, uh, you know, needs to go away. Well, when the AFA criticized Lowe's for doing that, Lowe's was very quick, and I appreciate this. They were very quick to respond uh, by apologizing to customers for any confusion about calling it a holiday tree and so on. And in fact, uh, she, uh, this, uh, I'm sorry, the spokesperson, Maureen Rich, uh, who is speaking for Lowe's uh, Home Improvement Warehouse, said, we're apologizing to customers, I'm quoting her, we're apologizing to customers today for any confusion our holiday catalog created, Rich said. She explained that the full-color document is called a holiday catalog because it encompasses all the holidays from October through January. Well, that's fine, too. And uh, it makes the point that on their, on their web, and she makes this point, but you can 
look it up for yourself and find it on the web. Uh, there's as much reference to Christmas as there is to holidays on their website. And then she says this, the catalog's use of the term family trees was a plain old error. Those particular pages dealt with Christmas trees, she said, and the creative group responsible for laying out the catalog put family trees at the top to mirror the other family-oriented headlines on the page. So the deal is they're saying, oh, it was just a naive mistake. We didn't mean to do that. Now, I suspect that somebody had to think to themselves, we're going to call these family trees. Isn't that absurd? I mean, they're Christmas trees, and somebody had to bring that up. And somebody else must have said, well, this will be a good way to stay out of the Christmas wars, and we can just call it holiday tree, and it'll match everything else we're doing, and we won't have to worry about it. But then they caught the flack that comes from us as Christians when we say, look, if I'm going to a store and it's selling Christmas trees, I want to be able to call it a Christmas tree. That's how I want to refer to it. And and so what do they do? They correct it. And they say, well, look, (laughs) because I'll tell you the truth. I doubt Lowe's cares whether they call it a Christmas tree or family tree. I doubt they care. And that's fine with me because they're there to make money. That's what they do. And I love the fact that they make money and support so many people and all of that. So fantastic. Good for them. So now they end up trying to be political correct for our benefit, and uh, we're all okay with that. Now, there's a good thing about that, and there's probably a bad thing about it. And I want to invite you in just the next couple of minutes, if you're interested, to share with me your thoughts on all these Christmas wars that come about every year. Is there a reason for us to focus in on defending the name Christmas at the Christmas season? Do you think that's what we ought to be focused on? If you're interested in making a comment on that in just the next few minutes, feel free to call in at 1-800-881-9270. You can call right now. We'll get you on the air in just a couple of minutes. Or you can email us at talk at Jerry Johnson Live. And my question for you is basically, do you think it's worth us as Christians, uh, you know, to put it bluntly, making a stink over uh, the fact that so many people try to avoid the word Christmas? If you've got an opinion on that, feel free to call 1-800-881-9270. But you'll have to call quickly because the show is going to be moving really fast today. So that's 1-800-881-9270. Now, here's, here's my second consideration for you, because it matters to me that we defend Christmas. It matters to me that we keep Christ in Christmas. I, I appreciate all of that. But do I really want to claim that having a decorated tree in my living room is an identifying marker of my Christianity? Well, now you say, well, that's not the issue. Having a decorated tree in your room is not what it's about. It's the word Christmas, and that contains the name of Christ. And that is important to me. Honestly, it is important to me. I just want us to consider the whole picture here because it's not just the name Christ. We don't call it Christ's birth celebration. Some people do. Some people put that on their yard, and I appreciate that. They celebrate the nativity, and they they don't even use the word Christmas. They just talk about the nativity and uh, the first advent, things like that. I appreciate all of that. But if I was really going to get upset about it, it would bother me just to call it Christmas. I don't go to a Mass on the day of we celebrate Christ's birth. Uh, I go to a church service. I usually go to a candlelight service. But it's not a Mass, for heaven's sake. Uh, I don't participate in Mass as a Baptist. That's not what I do. You may. That's fine. I'm just saying, if I'm going to be really concerned about names and things, why am I not concerned about that as well? Well, You can think about that, decide what you want to about it. My line of reasoning is not that we should not be concerned about it. It's just that we also need to be concerned about our Christian testimony. All right, Taylor in Mansfield, I appreciate you calling in. And uh, what is it you want to share with us? Um, I just have a comment about all of the taking Christ out of Christmas. Isn't it, I believe that it is taking away from our rights um, as U.S. citizens and as Christians also, because Christmas is a Christian the birth of our Savior. This might sound harsh, but I personally don't think that non-believers should participate in Christmas and especially, <laughs> you know, take away from our right of us celebrating the birth of our Savior. I mean, we respectfully don't celebrate Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, things of that nature. 
And I just think that it's very right. disrespectful. Interesting. Um, people of you don't like other people exchanging gifts and stuff on Christmas when they're not Christians. Is that right. what you're... And I see, I see the family aspect of it. Interesting. That, you know, everybody else is doing it, and it's a fun, loving, giving time. But that's not the core message of right. Christmas. Well, the message can certainly get lost in it, uh, Taylor. Right. I'm just I'm just curious. I, I probably don't have time for you to answer this. I just want to throw it out for you to think okay. about, though. Um, do you think it's worth the huge promotion it is for Christianity that everyone who's willing to just open their eyes slightly does get to see this name Christ and does get to see that this baby was born that made such an impact on the world? They may not mo- know much else about it, but it does kind of open the door for some evangelism sometimes. And if you're still there, Taylor, would you just agree with that much? I do, I do agree with that, yeah. and I think if there's anything that will open the eyes and the hearts of people of the world to Christ, then, you know, it needs to yeah. be addressed, but in the same yeah. sense, I don't think it's fair that people take away our rights. I hear you. No, I'm, I'm with you on that, and I, and I don't like the secularization of Christmas. I, I'm with you I on that also. I want it to be about Christ. So, uh, exactly. yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Taylor. I appreciate your opinion. Thanks for sharing it with us. Stacy. I appreciate you calling in from Dallas. You've only got a, a minute or so to share it with us, but I'd love to hear your opinion about this. Yes, well, I just wanted to, I'm in human resources at my company, and um, we are having a holiday party this year, and and I am a (laughs) Christian, and I I do really um, want to keep Christ in Christmas, but at the same time, I feel it's very important to, um, in in a situation like a a corporate company, um, to respect them. Yeah, um, I understand that. You know, make it a holiday, and I, I personally don't have a problem with that. Tell me so. whether you agree with this statement or not. Do you think it's more effective for you to have a Christian attitude and a Christian demeanor than it is for you to force that holiday celebration to be called a Christmas celebration in your workplace? Which, Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I figured that's where you would go, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Stacy. again, a great call. I hate to move on. I'm going to try in 30 seconds to get Sharon in from San Angelo. Sharon, what do you think about Christmas? I think Christmas is an opportunity for Christians to be evangelical and not war over the name, but instead explain it, maybe educate, and maybe yeah. hopefully win someone to Christ. Boy, I hear you. We ought to be, we ought to be making it evangelical. I appreciate that. Uh, great calls, y'all. I appreciate it very much. We're going to take a break here in a second, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about something completely different, very interesting. Some of our most important current conflicts are not internal to our culture at all, like the Christmas conflict we were talking about. In fact, they're straight-up international conflicts over the very existence of America and a Western way of life. That's why we're privileged to have this guest with us, William S. Cohen, uh, in the next segment. We're going to be talking to him about a book that he's written, a novel that he's written, and also uh, his opinion on some international and defense affairs. We're going to have a great time talking about it. I uh, want you to hang in there and come back to us at Jerry Johnson Live right after this break. November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The Battle for the Truth, Beware the False Prophets, a town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. What a great opportunity to remind people that what the Bible says is true. Special guest panelists include Dr. Jack Graham, pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church in Grand Prairie, with special insight from John MacArthur, host of Grace to You. Dr. Tony Evans, pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, George Barna of the Barna Group, and more. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas, Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m. 
and live from Crossroads Christian Church. The truth. Fight for it with us. November 14th, only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. All right, I'm glad you're back. Uh, listen, we're, we're talking about different conflicts that we run into, both in the culture and within Christianity itself. We were talking about a conflict over uh, the Christmas season. It comes, seems to come up every year. Uh, people use political correctness to try to avoid uh, a conflict, to try to avoid offending people. I understand that. You're trying to market a product. You want to alienate as few people as possible. Uh, but then ultimately, they end up alienating Christians, and then they have to correct that and go back to using Christian terms and, and so on. And uh, this one's not in the governmental public square. It's in the market. Uh, it's in the, the enterprise, indus- uh, the, the, the industry of making money. So I can understand why people are motivated like they are, and that's fine. But it's not just those kinds of conflicts and difficult issues that we face in terms of culture wars. We also face conflicts uh, inside of Christianity. I mean, I got a thoughtful email the other day, really a a thoughtful, pretty well-written email uh, in response to the show we did on Monday on on, uh, pacifism and uh, the idea of war and whether uh, Christians ought to take up arms and bear arms. And uh, it's a thoughtful note. It basically says, uh, your guest uh, host on Monday was ignorant. They don't use that word, but they uh, do have it in the tenor of their uh, text, you know, all caps and stuff. Uh, But anyway, your guest was ignorant. He should know that conscientious objectors would never support any kind of violence at any time, uh, not even in defending your own family, so on like that, which is uh, true about some conscientious objectors. It's not true about all of them. Some pacifists are only opposed to personal violence. Some pacifists are only opposed to governmental-type violence, to state-imposed violence. Some pacifists are opposed to all violence. Some pacifists are opposed only to extreme forms of violence, and so on. There's all kinds of different forms of conscientious objection, and uh, it's true. We were only dealing with one particular form, and uh, it probably is the easiest one for us to talk about. But uh, I've got to tell you, I'm still uh, in support of the things that we were talking about uh, the other day. Now, the reason I bring that up is because even on a topic that seems as obvious and simple as whether Christians ought to participate in violence or not, we have significant disagreement in the Christian community. Even among people who embrace the same church, embrace what they would identify as the same doctrinal foundations, we have disagreements on issues like that. When conflicts like that come up, where do we draw the line about it? How far do we go in defending the faith in a certain way? And so uh, when we're within the ranks of those who call themselves Christians. Some might or might not be Christians, but, you know, we do have a a body, Christendom, or whatever we want to call it, where we call ourselves Christians. Is there a point at which we ought to exclude those who say they're Christian, but whose doctrines say otherwise? That's what we're dealing with right now, because that invokes conflict within Christianity. If all of us agreed, if all of us actually agreed on doctrine and practice and where the lines of personal behavior and all those kinds of things are, then maybe this wouldn't come up. But, but the reality is it does come up, and it comes up everywhere. And how is it that we figure out where to draw the line there? Uh, in fact, there's a uh, past in the New Testament that deals with exactly that topic when uh, John is writing to the elect lady and her children. And it is hard to identify exactly who he's talking to, whether it's actually a home and a, and a family that hosted some Christians who met there, or if that was a church that was meeting in that house, whatever, or if he's referring to the lady as the church. But whoever it is, this is what he says. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, that's the address of the letter, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, 
I love, but I love in the truth. Now, there's a double-edged sword to that statement. Uh, It's whom I love in the truth, and then he says, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, for the truth's sake. The, uh, The whole point is that when I am a Christian, I am obligated to love other Christians simply because they are other Christians, not because of how I feel about them or what I agree or disagree with them about. I love them for the truth's sake. But I don't love just everybody in that way. I love those who are in the truth for the truth's sake. And so he goes on in verse 3 to say the, the, the normal lines that you would expect in a letter like this, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of our Father, in truth and love. There is a relationship between truth and love that's inherent to the entire New Testament form of Christianity, that we do care about the people that we're dealing with, and we do love them because they are Christians. But we also have an obligation to communicate the truth to them. It's, and it's really scary for us, especially in our culture, to be able to... Uh, correct people without sounding like we are uh, rejecting them. Unfortunately, there's a really shallow way that we take that. Um, we, uh, we want to correct someone, like in, in a classroom where I have students who are arguing about an issue, a student will present their case, and if someone criticizes their position, they will have a tendency sometimes to take it personally, as if they're being personally attacked. But in reality, they're not being personally attacked. Their argument is being criticized. And I, I actually find great value in that. I personally find great value in being around people who disagree, even violently, I don't mean in violent activity, but I mean in a whole way disagree with me about what I believe, because when I put out my ideas, they're able to cut off the fat from those ideas. They're able to strip it down to just the lean meat, so that finally, at the end of the discussion, I end up with a a really fine filet of truth. And that's what I want to get down to. I don't have any reason to be afraid of the truth. But I I do have a reason, and some of us are, afraid of personal attacks. We 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 don't like being uncomfortable with people disagreeing with us. But I want to encourage us not to be so afraid of doing what Jude calls contending for the faith. And I I don't want us to be so afraid also of hearing other people contend with the things that we say, because it's in that way that we can interchange on real ideas and come to a conclusion about what the real truth is. In fact, later in that letter, in a letter that's obsessed with love, whom I love in the truth, and all those who have known the truth for the truth's sake, the commandment that he gives is that we ought to walk in love with one another. This is how he says it, now I beseech you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto you, but that which we had from the beginning that we love one another. But this is love, he says. This is love that we walk after his commandments. There is a set reality, a truth, some facts that he's put out there that we're supposed to live in, that he expects us to obey, and that's the evidence that we're actually walking in his love. And in fact, in the next verse, he says, because there are many deceivers who are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. That, he says, is a, is a deceiver and an antichrist. Wow, can you imagine somebody putting out that language today, saying that someone is a deceiver and an antichrist, even if if we disagreed fundamentally with their doctrine, I, I think people would uh, drop a bomb if they heard those terms. They would just go ballistic. Um, I, I, I even, even in academic settings, even in a setting where we're supposed to be open to the opinions of others, I remember sitting in a Ph.D. classroom, something like a seminar, and we're just sitting around tables and discussing this major cultural historical issue, and I remember sharing opinion that most people didn't share uh, in that room. And it, it, and it was it, it simply 
simply, the opinion was just this. But it doesn't matter. The content of it doesn't matter. But I just want you to hear what it was. The opinion was simply that there is a real difference between being male and being female, a real difference between being masculine and feminine. And you know, when I said that, it was like I had thrown a grenade into the middle of the room. People stood up, and they screamed at me, and they lost their temper. And uh, it was incredible to see this display of emotional reaction to such a simple statement. So those kinds of conflicts do come up. We do disagree about things that are as fundamental as that, and it's worth standing up for it when we need to. Again, uh, those kinds of conflicts are important. We need to address them. Those will be addressed in the uh, battle for the truth uh, town hall meeting that's taking place over in Arlington tonight. But right now, there's another kind of conflict we want to be able to talk about. It's international conflict. And we're just going to introduce our guest and get started with him. And then we're also going to be uh, talking to him after the break. And that uh, is Secretary, former Secretary of Defense, William S. Cohen. And you just cannot believe the qualifications that this man has. If I read them all to you, it would take all of the time. The only thing that's surprising is that he's never run for president. In fact, he may have, and I just don't know about it. But, uh, man, an, an incredible leader. And uh, Secretary Cohen, I, I believe you're on the line right now. Is that right? Uh, I am indeed, uh, Dr. Kramer. And do I appreciate your being with us. It's a real privilege to be able to speak with you. Well, thanks very much. Uh, let me just tell our audience real quickly that you're a Republican. And I just want to hear if, if I'm saying this correctly. I remember that this was true, but you're a Republican but served under President Bill Clinton as the Secretary of Defense. During his second term, he uh, invited me to uh, to join the the cabinet secretary of defense, and it was uh, probably the greatest experience of my 31 years of public service. Well, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it was a real sigh of relief for us to know that a Republican was going to be the secretary of defense. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'll tell you, President uh, Clinton uh, kept his word to me. I uh, I made the the one condition I insisted upon that I never get involved in any uh, partisan or political discussion. Right. And uh, just uh, be able to run the uh, the Defense Department, and he kept his word on that, so it turned out to be a really great uh, relationship. And I'm grateful for that service. Now we're going to ask you quite a few different questions, but w- but the reason we we get to have you on the line today is because you've put out this uh, this new novel, Dragonfire, right? Right. Now uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. I've read a few of the opening chapters of it. I haven't had time to finish it yet, so don't spoil it for me, okay? Okay. All right. But uh, I have to admit, I, I mean, even after reading the first chapter. Uh, the first two chapters, actually, uh, not counting the numbers, but but reading the first couple of chapters, I was already hooked. It, it really does sound like it's going to be interesting, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Uh, if you wanted to sell me on the book, before we go to the break, uh, you, we've only got a few seconds here, but I'll let you talk about it afterwards, too. If you wanted to sell me on the book, or if you wanted to sell our audience on it, what would you what would you say to them? I'd say that this is an opportunity to uh, look behind the scenes, see uh, the kind of uh, politics that are played, the kind of pressures that exist uh, on people who serve in public office, be it the Pentagon, the White House, or Capitol Hill, or those in the world capitals. This is an opportunity to take a look behind that curtain. Yeah, I would expect, uh, I, I can't even imagine how you would do this, because as the Secretary of Defense, you would have access to all of this real intelligence, and then you're writing a, a novel, a fiction, and uh, it would seem really hard to me uh, to separate the two so that you're not writing the things that you just can't write about, but you are writing. And it seems like you've done that because you've certainly included enough to keep a person hooked on the on the flow of the story. Well, what I tried to do is to make uh, come this very close to the bone uh, to make sure that I always keep in my in my mind in my writing the separation between what is classified and, and not classified. 
and uh, to make it as real as possible, but uh, to also make uh, sure the reader understands you're still in the realm of fiction, but sure. to cause you to question which is real and which is Memorex. Right. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let you talk more about the book in just a minute, but I guess your ability to do that is why you got to be the Secretary of Defense, okay. and, and I didn't, or at least that's one of the reasons. Hey, listen, you're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We'll be back right after this. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Uh, glad you're back. We're fortunate enough today to have uh, William S. Cohen on the line with us today, former Secretary of State. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I appreciate the opportunity to have this time with you. You've written this uh, fiction, this novel, uh, Dragonfire, really interesting read. I want to ask you just a couple of more questions about that, all right? Okay. Uh, first of all, are, I just want to, I don't know your personal opinion. Are you happy with the, the way it came out? I can't even imagine producing a book of this uh, magnitude and then you know, having to evaluate whether I was happy with it or not. But are you happy with the way it came out? Well, I think uh, every writer uh, is happy when you finally get to the conclusion. Oh, man. And uh, that's one of those things where uh, I think it was Robert Frost who said that every poem begins in delight and ends in wisdom. I think for me, every novel that I write begins in delight and ends in agony because uh, <laughs> you say, I've got to end this thing. And uh, and I hope that the ending um, measures up to uh, the rest of the book. But it was designed to yeah. try and produce a bit of a thrill toward the end. Yeah, well, why did you write a fiction instead of a nonfiction? I mean, you have so much to say anyway. Well, uh, I really wanted to reach a different audience. I, I, I certainly could write a nonfiction book of my accounts, uh, both on Capitol Hill and uh, uh, and uh, at the Pentagon, but uh, it's right. a, a fairly limited audience, and what I wanted to do is to reach out to people who otherwise wouldn't be interested in politics or be interested in reading uh, a fairly dry dissertation on what goes on at the Pentagon and dealing with budgets and other yeah. types of the, uh, issues. And so I, I'd hoped I'd reach a, a broader audience. Now I read, a lot of times when I read a book, you know, you can sense uh, a political agenda at some point in it. I, I haven't sensed that yet. I'm not very far into the book yet, though. So is there a political agenda in it? And I, and I don't mean that in a, in a hostile way. I just mean, did you write it with a political agenda, or is it just fun? Or maybe does it play to everyone else's agendas and uh, sort of play on which way they would read it? Which I way would you take it? I wrote it with a geopolitical agenda, namely to try and analyze some of the forces that are at work throughout the world. For example, I, we have a uh, growing uh, Chinese uh, power uh -huh. uh, economically and militarily, right. and we have Russia that's making a, 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 a rebound, uh, certainly economically, if not right. militarily. And what I wanted to do is say, well, what are the what-ifs? What if you had a, a rogue Chinese general who links up with a Russian um, a mafia boss who has aspirations of becoming Russian president, in fact, assassinates uh, the Russian president so he can take that office? And what if the two of them combined to commit acts of terror in the United States that look like accidents. What would be the dynamic that is unleashed under those circumstances? And so what I really want to do is to deal with geopolitical issues and then use that as the backdrop for dealing with the day-to-day -day pressures that a Secretary of Defense uh, has to contend with and how he works with the White House, what his relationship might be to people within the White House, dealing with the, the real personal 
day-to-day types of right. activities that one would have to contend with. Well, well, let me broaden out then and just ask you about a few geopolitical things. I, I don't even know. I mean, I, I wouldn't be qualified like you are to ask the, even the right questions, but I can ask the ones that are in the public square right now. And sure. one of the most interesting things going on right now uh, involves Iran because we've seen, uh, you know, the British and even the French taking a harder line. And I don't mean that as insulting to the French as it sounds, but uh, even them taking a harder line against Iran. And uh, just I think it was today that, that the British Prime Minister, Gordon Brown was warning Tehran about uh, how they needed to show better signs of progress or we were going to give them tighter sanctions. Let me, let me play this for you and get your reaction to it, if you don't mind. Confrontation with the international community leading to a tightening of sanctions, or if it changes its approach and ends support for terrorism, a transformed relationship with the world. In fact, that resolve is even emphasized more in this statement. Iran should be in no doubt about the seriousness of our purpose. So what do you take from all of this uh, going on with Iran right now and, and uh, Britain and everyone else's basically look at taking a more strenuous or a, a sterner line toward them? There are two things taking place. Uh, internally within Iran, there's a growing consensus and a unification of the political belief that they're entitled to have nuclear weapons. Uh, uh, that combined with a growing apprehension on the part of the rest of the world, including the Russians, including the Chinese, uh, the French, the Brits, uh, and, uh, and others, that uh, it would be very bad for uh, world safety, global sure. security, for Iran to move forward with a nuclear weapon. So what we're seeing is a clash at this particular point of two dynamics underway. Yeah. What needs to be done is that the uh, the United Nations Security Council needs to show real solidarity to send the signal to Iran that it cannot split that uh, Security Council, that right. the world is concerned about what they're trying to do and unleash uh, certainly others. Uh, the Egyptians have already promised to start developing, quote, nuclear power. The Saudis have indicated the same. Right. United Arab Emirates. So there is a lot at stake here for uh, world stability, and that's why it's important that world leaders like uh, Gordon Brown, right. like uh, President Sar- uh, Sarkozy, Sarkozy and others yeah. speak out. Yeah, and uh, it does seem odd to me that we have this new sort of newfound friendship with France over the particular issue of Iran, I guess. Is that what's uniting us right now? Uh, well, that's one issue, but you have a new president who has a different attitude toward the United States, sure. who wants a much uh, closer relationship to take it back to when yeah. uh, the French were actually uh, a, uh, a military participant uh, within NATO itself as part of the, the NATO military uh, organization. So yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a new day, in, uh, at least with this uh, new president, and hopefully that, that he will uh, reflect the sentiments of the, the French people. Yeah, I'm glad, because I enjoy drinking Perrier, and it tastes better now. Um, <laughs> listen, uh, the, the missile defense idea that uh, Bush had proposed a while back and then Putin gave that militaristic response to uh, and then this sort of uh, synthetic I, I don't know what came out of it it seemed to be that Putin had suggested that they build a joint missile defense shield in uh, Azerbaijan uh, is that is that even a realistic goal or what was that? Well that particular proposal I don't think is realistic but uh, I think we should try to find ways in which we can cooperate with the Russians that uh, this uh, this missile defense system which really doesn't pose a threat to them but symbolically is simply another indication of how we the United States uh, the NATO organization have expanded our sphere of influence uh, has put uh, the Russians uh, very much on the defensive and yeah. very angry about it and I think that we've got to defuse that and it's in our interest to do so because Russia is still a country that consists of some 11 time zones they have vast resources right. Right. they're starting to flex that muscle and we've got to uh, do whatever we can to see if we can't uh, minimize the friction and maximize uh, the relationship
just a quick personal opinion. Is Putin trustworthy? Is he somebody that is not going to take things the wrong direction in Russia? Uh, I don't think... I don't think we know at this point. I think that uh, the, the jury is out. It's clear that he is trying to reconstitute uh, the Russian power, yeah. uh, to reconstitute uh, what was the Soviet Empire under the Russian flag. But right. I think that uh, we still have to deal with him and deal with him from a position of both uh, respect but also from one of uh, strength. Okay. All right. I, no, I All appreciate right. that. Let me ask you, uh, if you've got time for me to ask you just a couple of more questions, I want to ask in a slightly different direction. Um, you, you can pass or answer these questions if you want to. Uh, first of all, is politically. Uh, what do you think of the current Democratic field? What do you think of the current Republican field? Do you have any favorites in there at all? Uh, I really don't. I, uh, I, I said I'm an analyst now for the uh, for CNN on the, the right. World Affairs Analyst, so I try to be as objective as possible. And once I start expressing uh, okay. preferences for candidates, then that tends to uh, have people thinking uh, my, my judgment sure. is going to be biased. Man, I understand that, so I'll just let that go right now. Right. Let me ask you a completely different question. This on a personal level. When did you get started writing things like a fiction? I started writing uh, back when I was in college, and uh, but the first novel I wrote was in nineteen came out in nineteen eighty five. Ah. I, I co-authored that with Senator Gary Hart. We wrote a novel called The Double Man, and it uh, also dealt with terrorism and uh, when terrorism started to come to the United States. And so, I've been dealing with the subject uh, both in fact and in fiction for um, uh, many many years. Well, one more question for our guest, for uh, William S. Cohen, former Secretary of Defense under Bill Clinton, uh, just a tremendous leader uh, uh, since, 19, since the early 1970s, been serving in Congress, Senate, everything else with that. But one more question for him. He's just written a book, uh, a novel called Dragonfire. It's uh, you know an excellent read. I've started going through it. It, it looks great. Uh, one more question for you, and that is, what would you say, and uh, this is up to you how you want to answer it, what would you say is the most important value you hold? Just what, what is it that motivates you to do things? every day? Uh, it is to restore America to its greatness. This is a great country with the greatest force for stability on the face of the earth. Uh, we're still the good guys. Uh, unfortunately, we're going through a period of time right now when there's a lot of anti-Americanism, and I think that we can turn that around. But what I want to do is I wake up every day and say, how can I make, help make America great again? And uh, what would you suggest uh, me, my listeners, any of us out here would do in order to help with that process? Because I think just about everybody listening here would agree with that. Uh, what we have to do is get back to the, the core values uh, that made us uh, the, uh, the pillar uh, of strength uh, for much of the world and rebuilding uh, much of the world following World War II. We've got to get back to having balanced budgets, of having discipline, having... Uh, self-restraint of uh, having our currency uh, be uh, be strong uh, and to be a force for good and that is uh, not only rely upon military power but upon what, what is now called smart power to combine our humanitarian um, um, uh, power and, and desires to help uh, humanity across the globe with a strong uh, military to back up our diplomacy. Uh, what we can all do is uh, start supporting those candidates and right. and a return to those values. Hey, uh, you're going to love this one. In 30 or 45 seconds, can you tell me where you would draw the line between sending the military or not sending the military to some conflict that involves other nations? I think you send the military as a last resort only. You should always try to find a way to avoid sending the military. That's always the, the last choice, and that's the way the military feels as well. They are well uh, prepared to fight and are prepared to fight and die for our, right. uh, 
for our causes, but uh, that should be uh, diplomacy, everything but military. Military is a last resort. So the rule is um, we have to try diplomacy wherever and uh, right. whenever we can, sure. uh, and failing that, uh, we rely upon the military power. Given the resources and that diplomacy had failed, would you normally try to send the military where uh, there was a genocide going on, for instance? We should try to do so on a multilateral basis. I'm working with Secretary Albright, former Secretary of State, right. and we're working on a task force right now to try and draw some guidelines up for the next administration so that we can, in fact, help through diplomacy, other forms of intervention, prevent genocide from taking place. Wow. Thank you so much, Secretary Cohen, for the time to, to talk with us. It's been great. Uh, listen, this is Barry Kramer with William S. Cohen. We've been talking about his new book, International Conflict, National Politics. We're on Jerry Johnson Live, and we're going to be back right after this. November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The Battle for the Truth, Beware the False Prophets, a town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. What a great opportunity to remind people that what the Bible says is true. Special guest panelists include Dr. Jack Graham, pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church in Grand Prairie, with special insight from John MacArthur, host of Grace to You. Dr. Tony Evans, pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, George Barna of the Barna Group, and more. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas, Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m., and live from Crossroads Christian Church. The truth. Fight for it with us. November 14th, only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Oh, it was a real privilege to speak with Secretary Cohen, and uh, I think we're all grateful for the work that he's done in the past. And uh, uh, it's nice to be able to speak with someone who has sort of an inside track on some of these international issues that are going on. I appreciated his take on a lot of those things. Uh, We've been talking about generally in the show conflicts of different kinds, and so we started out talking about conflicts over the culture, introduced the, the, the concept that we deal with a lot of conflicts inside of Christendom also, that we deal with conflicts between people who claim to be Christians. And right now, one of those conflicts is about who Christians seem to want to endorse uh, for president. We're having a a really hard time as Christians agreeing on who uh, is going to represent the values that we stand for in the culture. And in fact, uh, Dr. James Dobson had been, I think, attributed by a few people with uh, an endorsement of Mike Huckabee, and he was trying to be very clear that he has not done that yet. I'm not endorsing anybody, neither Huckabee nor anybody else at this time. And in case we didn't understand exactly what he meant, he says again. I know Mike Huckabee personally. I like him. We talk on the phone. And uh, I don't mean to be disparaging to him at all. 
It's just that I can't do that, and I'm not able to do that at this time. And, man, it's been a real quandary for people, hasn't it? I mean, if you support Huckabee, then you get a lot of these values you like, but the economics doesn't seem to fit some people's conservative ideals. And if you support uh, Giuliani, you get some of the terrorist opposition that you really want, some of the strength of leadership that you want, but you don't get somebody who has probably the most basic moral issue of the 20th and now the 21st century uh, right, which is the issue of uh, abortion. Uh, you get somebody else, uh, you talk about Mitt Romney, you get somebody with a lot of the values alike, but some history and voting that you don't like, and he's a Mormon, and what are we supposed to do with that? And we just have all this confusion going on. And then yesterday thrown into the mix is the fact that the National uh, Right to Life uh, Committee has endorsed uh, Fred Thompson. This is the first endorsement in the Republican race from a major grassroots pro-life organization representing 50 state organizations, and about 3,000 chapters. He also clarifies that the reason they do that is because uh, Thompson's been very consistent in his pro-life voting record. I know he says that, but I'm not he is sure. He best positioned yeah, to top pro-abortion candidate Rudy Giuliani for the Republican nomination, and also looking at polls against the likely Democrats, he is well positioned, and we believe best positioned, to win the presidency of the United States for unborn children. And it's not just a conflict over who's going to be endorsed, but in fact, how these endorsements are being had. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you want to call in in a minute, I'm going to be talking about whether you think Christians ought to be willing to argue, to, 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 to have a conflict over the truth. But not just political truth like this. I'm talking about doctrinal truth. And if you have an opinion, we ought to take a stand at this point. This is where we cut it off. And we say, if you say this, then I can't call you a fellow Christian, or I can't uh, treat you like a, a member of the Christian Christian family, which doesn't mean we hate somebody. It just means we don't uh, count them as brother Christians. If you think there's a point where we ought to cut someone off like that, then feel free to call in. You've only got a few minutes to do it, but it's 1-800-881-9270. That's 1-800-881-9270. If you have an opinion about where we draw the line and say, you know, if, if a person says anything beyond this or anything less than this, then I'm not sure that I should refer to them as a Christian. The reason I'm bringing all this up in terms of broad range of conflict is because when we discuss tight issues like that, we're going to run into areas of disagreement, and then we have to decide how firm a stand am I going to take on this issue. And there are a lot of positions I think we need to be less firm about. There are a lot of positions where we have to say, I can understand where someone else is coming from. I just disagree with them. But there are some positions that we have to be absolute about. If you have an opinion on where that line is drawn, feel free to call in and share it with us in the next just couple of minutes, 1-800-881-9270. Now, the reason conflict comes up over all these endorsements it's not just that the endorsements are going different directions right now, but also that as soon as Fred Thompson got this endorsement from the NRLC, uh, he was criticized by a leader from the moral majority indicating that they believed that Fred Thompson had paid the NRLC for the endorsement. And then he lashes out in response to that to say that, that that's not the case, that they haven't paid anything for it. And in fact, that if anybody's paying for endorsements, it's the Romney campaign and so on. So, you know, arguments take place everywhere. Where should and should not Christians participate in? In that Now, we're talking about where Christians might cut off fellowship. It doesn't mean hate someone. It doesn't mean not speak to them, but it means not acknowledge that there is a genuine Christianity there. Jason, do you have an opinion on that? Thanks for calling in from Bedford, by the way. Um, yes, yeah, just talking about the elections and everything. Um, when yeah. somebody's going to vote for somebody that's pro-abortion, right. 
I'd really kind of question whether or not they're Christian, uh, if they can support such a oh my goodness uh, heinous. So not only now, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying, Jason. Not only are you saying you wouldn't vote for someone who is pro-abortion or at least pro-choice, but you wouldn't even be confident in a person's Christianity if they would vote for somebody like that. Is that what you said? Well, oh. depending on the, if there was a pro. Uh, if there was a pro-life... If there was another choice. Yeah, yeah I get what choice. you're saying. So it needs to be their highest value. That's a that's a really hard line to take, but I, I surely do understand it. I, I mean, I understand that there are some values that we hold that are so fundamental if somebody doesn't hold it, we're not sure uh, that uh, that they're sharing any of the same fundamental values. Jason, thanks for your call so much. I, kinda, I have to move on just because we have a couple of other callers, and I want to be able to squeeze them in before the end of the show. Mike in Arlington, uh, what do you have for us today? Yeah, um... Thanks for having me, Doctor. Oh, um, thanks for calling. I just to make the, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I just wanted to make the statement that regardless of who somebody endorses, I don't think we as Christians have a right to stop referring to somebody as a Christian. I believe that's sure. the word. Sure. Uh, and I appreciate your saying that. And I, I don't want to get the two issues confused. I wasn't trying to ask if if we needed to cut off fellowship with somebody because they endorsed a certain candidate. Uh, I certainly wouldn't draw the line there. I have some basic doctrinal issues. Uh, Mike, let me ask you this. Would you agree that a person has to believe in the authority of Scripture, they have to believe in the nature of the person of Christ, and they have to believe in the nature of salvation to be counted as a legitimate uh, believing Christian? Would that oh, yes, make sense to you? Yeah. And uh, would there be a point then beyond that where you would say, even if somebody calls themselves a Christian, you're not sure you would agree with them? Um, yes, but I would I would have to lay it down a prayer, too, because I might, you know, sometimes I think there are forces at work to that. I hear you. I oh, hear you. And people oh, and people can oh. change their minds. You know, that's one of the things we have to keep in mind. Again, Mike, I'm sorry to, to cut it off here, but I'm going to try to get one more call in. You've got about like 30 seconds. Kathleen and Plano, thank you for calling. You've got just a few seconds to share your opinion with us. What do you think about this? Um, I just wanted to say I kind of agree with Mike, the previous caller. Um, we aren't called to say whether or not we should count someone as a Christian. We, I feel that you yeah. know, I mean, yes, their beliefs may be you know slightly different from ours, but we should still love them as a child of God. And sure. you know, maybe they will see the way we live our lives and maybe sure. change in the future. But I, I feel that just cutting them off could you know, harm them even worse. Yeah, it's just, the, it's just the wrong immediate reaction, and cutting it off isn't the only thing we can do. We can also draw a line where we say, well, this person's not going to teach, but we're going to teach them, things like that. I appreciate your input on that, Kathleen. Thanks for calling in. Listen, uh, everybody, we have a message worth learning and defending, uh, but we also have an audience worth loving. And we want to do both. In fact, here, we want to do both as we advocate and defend a Christian worldview at Christian Coll- at, at, at Criswell College and also here on Jerry Johnson Live. I want to thank you for listening on the Criswell Radio Network and encourage you to listen again tomorrow to Jerry Johnson Live. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.